Hey, so today we're talking about bougie business owners, Bobby the Killer Duck, and trouble hiring talent. Are you ready? Welcome to the Say Michael Podcast. Welcome to the St. Michael Podcast, one man's attempt at business, family, and comedy. You know who I am. I'm your host, Michael Agbajan. And look, you know where we at? I don't know if you know where we at. We at the 70th episode. The 70th episode. Man, can you believe that? 70? I'm 70 already? Man, but you here. I'm here, and that feels good. It feels good to have people along your journey. I don't know. I want to hear about what's on your journey. I can tell you about what's on my journey because it's been crazy. I'm going to tell you what's been crazy. The rain is gone. So business has been booming. When I say business busting, business busting and booming right now because, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, I got a lot of help, you know, so not as bad as it used to be. But. Man, when the rain is here, you know, so good when it's gone. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> now I fly, fly, fly. Sunshine day. Mm, that's how it feels when the sun come out. Because, man, when the, when the weather's bad, I don't know. Every time the weather gets bad, every time it starts to rain, I'm like, Man, why do I feel so down? Why do I feel so down? And then my mom or my wife are like, well, you know, you know, business, you know how it is. Like when, you know, when it rains, you know, in the type of business you're in or whatever. And I was like, that's not the reason. Maybe there's another reason. They're like, nah, we think that's the reason. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And every time I'm like, I don't know why I feel like this. I just feel off. And then my mom, yeah. I just because I, you know, your rainy, it's rainy business, you know, so, see, rainy season for you, so when it rains, you know, maybe because business has uh, slowed down a little bit. I'm like, well, I don't know, I figured it out one day. And then when it gets sunny, I'm like, why I feel so good? <laughs> why I feel so great? Business is booming, everybody moving, I got things to do, I don't know. But when it rains again... It'll be back. It'll be back. I'm like, why I feel so off? But, you know, I'm feeling good because, look, the videographer, photographer came through today grabbing content. Woo! Feels good. I'm talking about feels good. And, look, it took a while to pick this guy. I'm talking about good. Let me tell you why. I'm a little upset with these little bougie business owners who are too good to do business the right way. And, look. There's more than one right way. So I'm not talking about my way. I'm talking about the right way. And look, there's four people I was choosing from. I want to, I want to pick someone good for the marketing and branding. I said, I got to be somebody good. I want the team to be right. You know, let me let me be slow to, to figure out who's the right person. And I asked around. People recommended people. And the first guy, he's already out. This first guy, you go to his page. You know, a few videos, a few uh, a few pictures, and then you saw the description of himself. Film director. Wow. Wow. 
You call yourself a film director. And then you're like, okay, for me, you call yourself a film director if you predominantly do films, primarily do films. But if you helped out on a film here and there or like do really good, you know, like um, we call it like videos for people, music videos, um, calling yourself a fi film director is a little OD. It's a little extra. It's a little much. Slow down. Slow down. Take a rest. You know, because film director already tells me where your head's at. Your head, I know where your head's at now. So he's already out. Don't want to deal with the ego. Not right now. And then there was a guy where his communication, poor. You know, you're talking to him about the project. He's like, uh-huh, okay. Okay, that's cool. And basically, he's like, you don't even know who you're talking to. He's like, do you even do videography or photography? Do you even, like, do this at all? Because you're not even asking any real questions. I'm just talking, talking, talking. I'm like, is there any questions? I need, like, anything, like, you need to ask me? No, no, no. I think I got it down. Did you even write this down? You know, it didn't sound like you, sound like you were driving. Too unprofessional. Third guy. He said, he told me, let's meet at my office tomorrow. And I was like, okay, cool. A little pushy, but I was like, all right, cool. What time? He said, 12 o'clock. All right, I'll be there. What's the address? Send me the address. 12 o'clock. I get there 11.55. And I said, hey, I'm already here, but, you know, um, no rush. Where, um, what, uh, what's the suite number? Because I'm thinking, how are you going to send me an address with no suite number? So I'm over here looking around. Where's this guy at, right? And then he says, hey, I'll be 10 minutes late. Um, I was like, okay, cool, but what's the suite number? He sent me the suite number. All right, 10 minutes turns to 30 minutes. And he rolls up late. And I'm already kind of like, man, if this guy doesn't apologize, this if he doesn't apologize, I'm out of here. And then I see him, he said, hey, are you Michael? I'll say, yeah. As I'm anticipating an apology, he said, all right, come, come this way. I was like, let me not be rude. Let me just listen. And just see what happened because I don't want to start off on the wrong tip. He actually might be a genius. He might be a super cold, but, you know, maybe I misjudged this whole situation. So walked into his office. He was like, you sit right there. And I was just like, oh, second red flag. Tell me what to do. You can sit right there. And it kind of sounded like he said, you sit right there. But, I, you know, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt that he said you can. You know, like he gave me the option. So I sat there. I'm waiting. And he sits down. He's like, man. Man, um, sorry, man. I got here a little delayed, you know. Um, last night, you know, you know, Des Bryant. Yeah, but last night we were at Des Bryant house, and uh, you know, he's doing some work for Des Bryant, and you know, this this morning we just left Des Bryant house. I'm just coming here from Des Bryant house, and you know, Des Bryant, you know, just just getting some film for Des Bryant, and and then I was like, bro, I don't care about Des Bryant. He's not even on my radar. This guy's talking about Des Bryant, Des Bryant, name dropping left and right. I'm like, uh, so? Can't I know Des Bryant? You now, if he says something like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, Jeff Bezos, someone where I'm like, oh, whoa, you, oh, whoa, okay. How'd that go? But Des Bryant? What? Come on now. It's all good, though. So I, I just said, you know, let me just pace through my, just pace through this meeting. And he's just talking, 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 going back and forth. And at one point, you know, he was taking a lot of breaks. He seemed like he was just super tired. I was just like, man, this guy didn't come prepared, you know. And content was okay. It wasn't anything where I was like, well, I'm impressed. But look, this last guy, whoo, 
This last guy, fire. When I say everyone was over here, this is where I'm, I'm talking about the low scale. This this last guy that I picked was up here. I'm talking about we's up here. He was up there, like high. Like his communication was A1. His communication was A1. You know, um, uh, he was super organized. He already, people always said, Man, you got to work with this guy. You got to work. Everyone was just, you know, saying so many positive things about this guy. And then we met. And then we broke down the vision, broke down, super interested, super ready, came prepared. And you could tell he's hungry. You could tell he's hungry. See, these bougie business owners who too cool, come on now. You got to be hungry. You know, they'll, they'll get a, they'll get a, a measly product, gourmetify it, and just say, hey, it's gourmet now. This is a gourmet hot dog for $15. You got to do a little bit more than that. You got to do a little bit more than that. Stop being bougie with your business and turn up. Show your hunger. But this guy was hungry. Hired him. And then he came through today. He came through today. And it was so good. Even one of my employees called me. He said, Hey, Mike, um, I just had a real good time with that photographer you brought through. I was like, oh, man, he had a real good time with you. He said, you know, went really well. You know, he said you were super thorough. It was a great time. And he's like, man, like, did you handpick me out of everybody? And I was like, in my head, I'm like, well, I just kind of picked randomly because there's certain spots I wanted him to see. But yeah, 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 I handpicked him. Mm-hmm. I handpicked him, yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Man, Mike, I really genuinely appreciate the opportunity, Mike. I mean, wow. I mean, man, I'm here, Mike. I'm like, hey, look, just get prepared, bro, because it's about to get crazy. I said, you ready? He said, hey, man, hey, Mike, I stay ready. I said, you stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. What's good? What's up? He said, yeah, I'm ready. I was like. Okay, good. Well, I got to go because I got a lot of calls coming in. So, peace out. Bye. Pling, hung up. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, that was today. I'm excited about new changes of the marketing and branding and adding these new layers. These are things I've been preparing for. And when you start to, to, to see these things happen, it gets a little scary. You know, I remember when our first son, Idol, where, you know, Blast's like, hey, I think I'm pregnant, right? And then I'm like, man, I got eight months to grind it out. And I'm just like, come on, eight months. And then next, you know, boom, he's already here. That's how it felt. Like you make these plans, you plan for it. You can't wait to, for it to happen. It seems so far away. And then next, you know, it's yesterday. It's kind of crazy how time goes, you know, but you know, time isn't going fast enough because we got Bobby, the killer duck back in the backyard, Bobby, the killer duck. If you don't remember, we had Ricky and Bobby, Bobby with an I, not with the number the Y, an I, because we realized that the brown mallard or the brown, brown duck is actually a female duck. And that's the one that lays the eggs, covers the eggs, you know, incubates, does the whole thing. And um, yeah, we got more ducks in the backyard. And the reason I call it a killer duck is because, look, one time we had two sets of ducks. You know, the men, they usually just leave peace out anyways. They, they only stay there for a little bit. You know, I just I think they're just trying to make the. The, the female ducks feel good, but either way, one duck was under the the um, the bush. Another one's kind of plain sight, and 
we didn't really want ducks because the first time it was terrible. You know, like, you know, we couldn't turn on the, the pool pump. So therefore, like our pool turned green and, you know, like ducks were getting sucked up into the into the vacuum or, you know, it's, it was like, I mean, the pump or whatever, it was just terrible. So I'm just like, ugh, I don't want this again. It was the second time and there was two ducks. And then think about it. They both had their ducklings around the same time, but one of them already left with all their ducklings, but they left one duckling behind. And the other one, the other mom, the, the actual Bobby, you know, she had her ducklings and that little lost duckling trying to join their duckling and man, Bobby wasn't having it. At all, it was a hey, it will grab it with his beak, hey, and then they'll fling it, whap, fly it, and they'll come back. Little duck will come back, yeah, yeah. And that's the what the sound you're hearing right now is the duck attacking the little small duckling with his beak, just like and then it'll bite it and then fling that thing. I said, Man, violent. I'm just watching it, I'm like, This is wild. Man, nature's wild, man. That's what I thought. I said, man, nature is wild. But, um, and I was like, I don't want that killer back here anymore. We did everything. We, like, we're scared. Of, hey, hey, get away. Hey, get away. Every time we see that duck, the boys in the backyard are like, oh, mommy, daddy, the ducks are here. And I ran in the backyard. Hey, get away. Get so, hey, get away. I start clapping. Hey, move. Get away. Move. And he'll fly away. Man, and now they're back again. And we kept trying to get them to fly away, kept trying to get them to fly away. They go, they go away and they'll sneak back. They'll go away to come back. I'm like, man, I can't stand it. And then next, you know, we see eight eggs in there. I'm like, oh, this is a third generation, the third generation of ducks. And I'm over it because these ducks, they said, oh, if you have ducks in your backyard, that means it's like, you're like, good luck. Good luck It's good luck. To have these wild ducks in the backyard going crazy, taking over your stuff in the summertime? Mm-mm. Not for me. This is spring still, but you know, I'm just saying. It's not for me. And ducks are here to stay, though. So I don't know. We actually bought some hawks to kind of get like to scare it away. We got these little hawk figurines. We just knock them over. You know, I don't know if it's the wind or the ducks itself, but they weren't scared of that. I was like, someone told me these hawks were going to work. These fake hawks, they didn't look that good. They were from Amazon. They were about like $20 for two. They weren't that good. And I was like, maybe the hawks need to look a little bit more realistic. I don't know. These kind of look a little, you know, a little plasticky cheapish. You know, I'm like, if I was a duck, I would know this isn't a real hawk. It's not even moving. It doesn't even have feathers that like blow in the wind. You know, like if a duck saw this, it's going to be like, come on now. Y'all, y'all serious? Like, I mean, come on now. But, you know, I'm still trying to push through because, you know, um, we're also having trouble hiring. Having started, look, as business starts to boom, it's, and, 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 as business starts to bust, bust wide open, we're having trouble hiring. But look, that's all going to change. When that extra unemployment stop, you can see people come out of their caves ready to work because they because they money done dried up. <laughs> <laughs> that free bread done dried out. They're like, there's gonna be some people out there who forgot how to work. Have to, you know, figure out like YouTube videos on how to work again. Because we're having trouble at the school and with the car wash. I'm like, man, if you can't find no one to do the work, what you do then? Raise the price? 
make it even harder for people to uh, use your product, take take advantage of your service. But yeah, um, yeah, we're having trouble, you know, hiring talent, but we're getting creative, creative with the recruitment. Might have to get a little aggressive. Might have to talk to a few people. You know, I'll, look, I'm not going to say we're going to do anything that lacks integrity. But look, whatever it takes, by any means necessary, we will get the people we need. They're going to be good. They're going to be trash. <laughs> They're going to be good. It hurts, but uh, guess what? Your boy's still flossing, though. <laughs> Your boy's still flossing every day. And I hope you are because, look, we just left this. As part of this weekend And I've noticed that I don't know if the, it was the mask or what's happening But look people aren't flossing You can see Heavy plaque within the middle of them You know like each tooth And it's mostly on the bottom row I get it y'all might have Some beautiful top row teeth But that bottom row you gotta take care of Equally as good Equally as good Because there's no use Having dingy you know, yellow bottom teeth and a white, beautiful top teeth row or smile or whatever. It's just not good. So I hope you're out there flossing because I say flossing every time I go to the dentist. They're like, wow, you really take good, good care of your teeth. I'm like, well, because I eat a lot of candy. That's why. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually, you know, talking to my team right now about the difference between training and developing because... They think that you could train for everything. You can't train for everything because some things take development. And the difference, the difference between training and development is that training is something short term. You're just helping them get to, you know, wherever they need to get to to start or do the job efficiently so they can kind of be creative on their own. But developing is a long term investment. That's when you invest in somebody, you develop them, you help them in their character. You know, someone had some somewhat of a peppered background. You help develop these people. The ones who don't have the skills that are really needed, you help develop them. Like if they lack communication skills, because if you lack simple communication skills, it's a little bit on you. You know, that that takes a lot of work and it takes a long time, but you can help people develop. And when you help people develop, that's you better be sure that they're here for the long term. They better be a good person. If not a good person, you're trying to develop them. Wow. Get ready to get bit. You know, that, that saying where they said, uh, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Well, when people are having impoverished mind or broke, they will buy anything. It don't matter if it's feed, it don't, it don't matter. And I can't blame them. I can't blame them. So uh, choose your employees wisely. Choose your help wisely. You know, they said, what is it? Uh, hire slow, fire fast. Hire slow, fire fast. Get rid of these losers on your team, the ones who are anchors and weighing you down. Because, you know, the whole goal of you in the center of your business or your entrepreneurship, whatever it is, is to empower those around you. I'm talking about empower your employees, empower your, your customers and your clients. You empower them to be better because when you help them better, that brings growth. And what does growth bring? More opportunity. And more opportunity means that you can help even more people. So you got to Focus on empowering the people around you when you're there, especially when you're not there, giving them the power to be better, you know? So yeah, that wraps it. Um, look on this next segment, we got a super great, juicy, wonderful conversation with my comedian, my African comedian brother, Emmanuel Ngoy. 
And this guy, hilarious, super good conversation. He's super dark too. So I had to double up the lights on this one right here. But this guy, he's hilarious. He's my guy. You know, uh, he's a young bull. And I can't wait for you to enjoy this conversation. And um, yeah, I will see you later. If there's anything you need, just holler at me. Love you. Uh, peace out. Peace. Oh, what's going down? <laughs> what's good, bro? It's all good, man. How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling great, man. Man, look, it's been a while because I've been waiting to, you know, catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And it's been since last year that we actually been together. So if y'all don't know, this one of my comedy boys. Yeah. Stand-up comedian, super hilarious. And it's been since when? Since like the last time we connected? Uh October of last year before the pandemic really went to crap. Yeah. Like it was we literally talked the week before everything was shut down. Yeah. And we were like, is this gonna get crazy? And I was like, man, it ain't gonna be nothing. Mm-hmm. We ain't gonna do nothing. I promise you it's gonna brush over. You know, we African. We ain't gonna <laughs> die from this. <laughs> Boy, I was wrong. Yeah, I yeah. I did wrong. Yeah, so how how have you been through the pandemic? Tell me, like, how has it been? I know. Yeah, uh, it's been crazy, man. Um, I lost two people within that year, but it wasn't, like, losing from the from the actual sickness. You already know uh, my grandmother passed away in February, and then my uh, baby brother passed away in June, so I had to deal with all of that. And the pandemic was low-key, not a blessing, but the... Quarantine helped me out through that situation, you know. I got to have time to be able to be by myself and uh, just reflect. Was it, so your grandmother in February and your little brother um, in June. Yeah, and um, how's that affected you and your family? And Well, basically what happened was, like, for most of my family, it was such a shock. Because my grandmother, we expected it because she had uh, terminal cancer. So we knew what to expect. And so my father left for Africa. And during the time that he left for Africa is when my brother passed away from, you know, diabetes. And mm. that, that hit us up like a ton of bricks. Yeah. But um, after that, I just, you know, it took some time and it brought the family closer. And it brought us to, like, the family unit, the central of everybody. You know, uh, my brother was actually gone. He was in college at the time. But uh, once we got back together, it just, you know, it folded. So, <clears throat> so people can understand a little bit, like... What is your family dynamic? How many brothers, sisters? Where are you from? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm from, I'm from South Sudan. Um, I was born in North Sudan, but, you know, it used to be just Sudan. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. warlords and death and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. People going down. Uh, but, yeah, I learned um, my family unit is tight. Like, mm-hmm. that's all we've ever been. It's like my family. Like, everyone is always tight. My parents preach that, and it's always been a central thing. Like, I'm the oldest, technically, you know. I do have a half sister, but um, yeah. So I've been the basically the oldest, and I've been dealing with my brothers and sisters for a long time. So. Oldest of how many? Oldest of um, I had to think about it. That's how you know you got a lot of brothers and sisters when you got to low key think about it. But yeah, um, I got okay. I got two sisters and uh, three brothers, so I'm the, <laughs> I'm the oldest of six. <laughs> It really is technically yeah. the second oldest of seven, but you know she's in Africa, so she mm-hmm. was she was always with uh, my uh, what's called not my stepmother, my what would it be called? Uh, 
your mother-in-law. So it'll be stepmother. I mean, no, yeah, stepmother. Yeah, it'll just be, it'd be, you know, I just say stepmother. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. My stepmother. So what brought y'all over here? But you were born in Sudan, right? Yeah, I was born in Sudan in uh, 95, you know. But uh, yeah, I lived in Sudan for about four years, but we just came over here because uh, I always tell the joke, you know, the whole uh, <laughs> Texas Walker Ranger thing. Like, um, I watched the show when I was a kid and my parents used to ask me, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And I remember we watched like a play or something and it was like about America. Like, yeah, America, the yeah. most amazing thing, right? And so I was like, let's go to America. And we got to choose between two places. It was like New York or Dallas. And, you know, when I was in Egypt, I used to watch Texas Walker Ranger all the time. That was my favorite show because, like, bro, they had a brother with a cowboy boot and, some, and a cowboy hat. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be that brother. Right yeah, there. yeah. I'm going to be that dude right there. So I was like, bet. I'm, I want to go to Dallas, Texas. And we went to Dallas, Texas. And the first night that we dropped in the United States, it was snowing. Wow. Terrifying. Yeah. I was like, why? So you, and so you've cold? never seen snow. Never seen snow. Mm -hmm. So I was like, why is it so cold over here? And it was really, they were like, oh, no, we're in New York. We're not in. I was like, thank God. I uh, Dallas, Texas. <laughs> when I got to Texas, it was cool. I was like, good. Because I had some red pants on and a lime green shirt. And some like uh, blue shoes, like it, it was the classic, you know, coming to America, like fresh off the boat yeah. type, yeah. So it was one of those. But things. you said when I was in Egypt, why were you in Egypt? Oh uh, yeah, because like to transfer to the United States, right? My dad was in Egypt for a whole year, right? So my baby brother had never met my dad, right? Mm -hmm. In '99, because that's when he was born. But my dad was in Egypt trying to collect enough money so he can be able to take us to the United States and be able to get the visas and all that stuff. Because a lot of it has to do with you know money exchanging hands and stuff like that yeah so my dad had to make a lot of money and he had to do that by being by himself at that place and working hard wow so he actually went to egypt picked mm -hmm. up a new job mm -hmm. tried to collect enough funds so he can make sure that you get you and all your family with the visas and everything like that yep. wow he got lucky too because uh, within like the first four months he really wasn't getting the job that was necessary and I think there was one point where he was talking to me because I'm not very religious, but my father is a stern Christian. And he talked to me. He was like, uh, he was like, son, there was a point where I didn't have work for three months and I would just be at home. And I, one day I had enough. And I just said to God, I was like, hey, help me out. Like I need it. Mm -hmm. He said within four hours, he gets a call from my uncle who tells him, hey, they have a job for you. It's going to pay a lot and you're going to be able to do what you need to do. So he goes over there, applies, he gets it and the rest is history. So rest like, is history. Rest is history. Wow. My dad worked out. You look at my dad, like he's a he's a young dude. He was like he was like in his 28, 29 at the time. He's doing his thing. He has two kids, right? And he he hasn't seen one of his kids. Yeah. And so he does he works, he grinds for a whole year, gets us over there, right? We get over there. And the first thing that my dad does, he tries to pick up my brother. My brother slaps the crap out of him. Wow. <laughs> that's funny. But that's the fighter that my brother is, you know? Yeah. And that's the way he is. So which brother? You're the one right under you. Yeah, the one right under me. Wow. So tell me, like, do you feel like a, like some type of pressure to perform and be great yes. because of that? Yes. That is our culture. I bet because, you know, like, do, do you miss Sudan at all? Yeah, man. I miss it a lot, man. I miss... Uh, When's the last time you've been? When's the last time? I was there in two, 1998. Okay, so shortly after you got here, you went back. And then you haven't been back. No, I've never, never been back to back home. Oh, since you left. Yeah, never been back home. My mom has been back. My dad has been back, you know, obviously from different situations. But uh, I plan on going back this uh, next December. 
Oh wow, yeah, that's the plan. So you want to make sure that you're all good and that you don't get trapped over there, right? I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm a grown man now, so we're good. yeah, yeah. I have enough fun. So. Yeah. So, um, so tell me, like, now that you're, you know, people are caught up a little bit about like you and your family and all that. How's the dynamic while y'all are here? Like, you know, is everyone good? Is it? I have a bunch of overachieving brothers and sisters. So it's one of those things where I'm the oldest, but I'm like the least achieving at all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah. like I like I mentored all these kids right. I helped them out, did all these different things. But my little brother is in college football right now, right? Uh, he played for Grambling. He turns over to Florida. I think I forgot which Florida, but it's in Pensacola school, right? Mm-hmm. My other sister, she's playing basketball. She just won a state championship, and she just got all district. So she balling. Yeah, on like they both balling on two sports that I was horrible at, but it's all good though. How tall are you? I'm six two. Six two. Mm-hmm. So you like so you could have been anything you really wanted to be. I was lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what held you back. Yeah, it's laziness. Like I did, I didn't have a passion for the. I had a passion for it, but I had a passion for like the stats, the the the, the good parts of it. But I didn't want to go up at five a.m. and hit people. I'm just like, okay, now. Nah, what was it? What like? Do you feel like once lazy, always lazy? No, no. I think once you get something that like. If, burns a fire in you and lights you up and you understand it more it's a different thing what was that what was that that you know put a fire into you uh comedy ah okay okay so when you get introduced into comedy like what made you what's how that start uh comedy has always been in my life like First, coming to America, you have to have something to release an outlet, right? Mm-hmm. So we had shows like The Simpsons, which I couldn't understand anything, but I could understand the physical humor. Yeah. Like Tom and Jerry, you can understand the physical humor. The uh, Three Stooges, you can understand that. Like some of the vaudeville stuff, which was crazy that yeah. my young self was even watching this stuff, but I didn't realize it. So I would watch that. I would watch Popeye. and I would watch all these little things until I got to the point where my English was good enough. And then I got like the Jamie Foxx show, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And advanced, uh, okay, and that's when it developed. And I was yeah. like, "Oh, I love this. this yeah, is, this is this is amazing." I was like, in my head, I was like, "I would want to be an actor, but I ain't never seen nobody that looked like me on stage like this." So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell my parents that. So I was like, "I'm gonna be a pilot." Yeah, that was it. That was all. Like, something oh, they could be proud of. Yeah, something they could be proud of. Because you know, <laughs> they they ain't gonna mess with it. You're like, "Oh, you try to be an actor? Hmm? <laughs> you are trying <laughs> to be an actor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to act? Huh? Yeah. So." uh but how'd you get your start into comedy? Um, okay, so 2018, I think, was when I first watched my first stand-up show, and I said, I'm better than all these fools. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can do this. Took me a year. You saw it in person or you saw it on TV? I saw it in person. Mm-hmm. But no, I've, I've already watched like a whole bunch of stand-up at this time. So for me, like obviously Patrice O'Neal, I got to watch Kevin Hart his second time over doing the circus, the All-Star Shack Comedy Jam and all that stuff. But... I was, I'd never been to a live show, so I never got to see just regular comedians grinding, trying to get to that next place, next yeah. level, because I didn't, I didn't know about it. Because like, like, I remember you always say, it's like, I didn't know about open mic nights. Yeah, I knew about open mic nights, but I always just assumed it was just better veterans that were over there. You have to be better. You have to be grizzly. You have to know what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But when I went up there, I saw it, and I was like, yeah, I'm better than these people. So I tried to heckle, right? But I said, first heckle was great. It was amazing. It hit. I was like, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know that. The second one made me sound like I'm a special lit. Like, oh, man. I said something about Boy Scout, and the dude ripped me a new one. But it hit me. I was like, man, I could do better than that. 
And so I was like, all right, I'll do it next month, mm -hmm. next month. And then I just slowly weeded it out, you know, because I was being too much of a scared, you know, little whatever it is. But it hit me uh, a year later because I was in the middle of like, I was kind of going in the fog because I was drinking a lot. I was going through it a lot at the time. Like and, what? And I was just, it was, it was, I was working a night shift job, right? And I was working two jobs at the time and I was doing a lot. And like, I felt like I was... I was just making a lot of money, but I wasn't doing anything. Like, I felt stuck. Yeah. I would get home, just buy a pack, and I would just drink, and that was it. Mm -hmm. I would go to work, I'd do my two jobs, and I would just make my money. You felt like your life, life was passing you by. <laughs> it was depressing. Yeah. And then one day I was like, you know, let me look up this comedy thing. Because I was like, I can't afford therapy. Might as well get on stage and talk crap, right? Yeah. And so I, got, I see it, and I see uh, back to our comedy. I was like, okay, what is this? And I look at it and I see it's a small venue. So in my head, I'm like, it's a small venue. You have nothing to worry about. Let's go. So I go and uh, they tell me I can't get on stage yet. And I bring my friend, uh, Reem. She comes with me. And I was like, yeah, I can't get on stage yet, but I'll be back next week. So I come back next week, right? And I'm like, I can do this. I can really do this. So I come in and I'm like, I'm scared. Uh-oh. Let me go get me give myself a little bit of drink and yeah. then come back out. But I got too much, right? Too much to drink. Yeah. <laughs> and I get on stage and I destroy. Mm -hmm. Like you would think it would just be horrible. I just destroy. And I'm like, yeah, I do this, man. Mm -hmm. And it was clean too. So for me the whole time, I don't know how I was able to not do any jokes that got off. And then I was like, I can do this. I come back the next week. I do it again. Third week, I learned my lesson. <laughs> got I humbled. got humbled. Yeah, humbled real quick. Because I was like, yeah, I can do this. I'm, I'm, I'm a pro at this. I ain't got to write nothing down. I got this. Come on stage. You crickets. Mm -hmm. And that's when, that's when it hit me. There's a passion for it because I got knocked down. And I was like, oh, no, I ain't finna let this. No, I can't, I can't have my last time on stage be crap. Yeah. So the next time it hits me again. But then I got that adrenaline rush. And I'm like, okay, I need more. And so every single time, it just got worse and worse and worse. This affliction of comedy was in me now. Like, yeah. There's no question. Like, I want to do this. But, but isn't it like a, a crazy, it's almost like a disability to go up, you know what I mean? Go up in front of everybody, make a fool of yourself, try to make people laugh, strangers laugh, sometimes take the L, and then you just got to walk up, and then you go do it again. Cause you know, if it's something that you know that that's like different, where you're like so good that you can't wait to get up, cause it's just natural. But it's literally the opposite, where you're like nervous until you start speaking. You don't know if it's gonna work, and then you keep doing this over and over and over. It's almost like, what could you have to be crazy person to like do this? Oh no, definitely. Uh, I think the crazy part about it is, it's like I was naturally an introvert, so for me, making people laugh was always my defense mechanism, right? But being on stage is a whole different level. People think that, like, you get on stage and it's just like, yeah, if you're naturally funny, you're going to be funny. No. I've learned that in comedy, you get less funny the more time that you're in, you're in comedy. Yeah. Just because you get to know the technicalities of everything. So yes. It's like you, you break the screen. Yeah. You break the ideal of what a funny person is and you're just like, damn. Yeah, it's different. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> like, I just don't. I, I can't even do this. Though. Yeah. But when you watch somebody else's set, you're like, I don't want to watch their set. This might influence me. In a different way. So I keep myself away from certain people. But when there's somebody that's the complete opposite of me or somebody that's just way different, I like to enjoy the comedy. Because that way, I don't know the intricacies of like, I mean, I say intricacies. I can't even, what, what is the word? Intricacies? Yes. 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 You know, the, the, the tongue is too strong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 
I don't know the the specific parts of their comedy because that's not my style. Yeah. So it's never going to affect me. I get to watch them and I get to enjoy comedy again. And that's why I love watching different kind of people in different ways that they deliver. Do, do you have like a, you know, they have something called like a mental model. So, someone that, you know, like if you do business, you say, oh, okay, I'm going to do business just like how Jeff Bezos you, and you do the things they do. Do you have like a mental model of somebody in comedy that you look to and said, I want to do comedy like that person? Or is it that you just came in originally for yourself? Uh, for me, it's obviously there's there's two people for me that always kill it. Like, obviously, it's uh, uh, Robin Williams. Like, I really enjoy Robin Williams, but I can't deliver like the fast pace that Robin Williams does. Sometimes I might get into my bag and I'm like, oh, I feel amazing. I did a set that was rapid pace. And yeah. Killed. But no, I can't do it like Robin. Robin's one of a kind. Yeah. And then we got Patrice. Also. Patrice O'Neill, man. The king. Mm -hmm. Patrice, for me, taught me that I could just be myself 100%. I could be a big black dude on stage. And that's where I talked about like how actors, I've never seen an actor that looked like me. Yeah. But I've seen a comedian that looked like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That made sense. And so when I watched him, I was like, man, this dude, he can take a crowd and make them feel uncomfortable. And he, he loads it. He enjoys it. I said not loads it, but he enjoys like watching a, uh, a group of people just feel, you know, trapped. Yeah. But then he also brings it back with laughter, and he's like, yeah, I got y'all. I got y'all at the palm of my hands. I know what y'all are thinking. Yeah, he's really good with that tension, mm -hmm. creating that tension and then that release. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then um, you mentioned earlier about, you know, uh, the comedy that introduced you into it, which is like um, physical comedy. Mm -hmm. And he talked about, and by they, it's like, it's an NPR st study and like New York Times, whatever. They're talking about how um, basically uh, slapstick physical comedy is the comedy that crosses over all barriers. This only one. It makes sense. Yeah. And that the physical comedy can never get old just because you could see it. And that's literally, it's like a hidden language. Like you don't have to speak the certain language. You could see what's. What's so funny? It's universal. Like it doesn't matter who you are. If you're Indian, if you're black, if you're white, if you're Hispanic, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, slapstick is amazing. Like a dude getting hit in the nuts. It's it's always gonna be funny. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's always that. Why so, is like, that? Why? Because as a child, like it just it's hilarious. Yeah. Like even to this day, I remember the first time I got hit in the nuts, and I think to myself, "Oh, that was hilarious." Yeah. But do I ever want to feel that pain again? No. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'll never be a sexist. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why like, i learned that women are strong yeah in one area better than we have ever had yeah history. you know women they said like some women have told me that telling them that they are strong like woman or a strong black woman is an insult it makes sense why because for black women specifically like, to tell a black woman you're a strong black woman is feeding into the stereotype that a black woman is inherently more masculine and has more abilities physically mm -hmm. than any other type of woman and I hate that because, like, they always just shove it on black women to be able to take on the structures and take on things that they shouldn't be taking on in the first <laughs> yeah, place. Like, yeah. Makes no sense. Yeah. And it's always the thing of, like, oh, is the family structure the same? Black men don't love black women. But, like, bro, 80% <laughs> of us are with black women. Yeah. Like, yeah. The rest of us, okay, I understand. But mm -hmm. that's what it is. You know, it doesn't make any sense. I understand it too now, you know what I mean? To say, like, it's not a compliment. Mm -hmm. It's not. <laughs> you know, because women are like, I hear it, but I don't feel good about it when men say, oh, like, 
I, I appreciate your strength. And they're mm-hmm. like, but I don't want to be this strong. I have to be this strong. Yeah, I, be. I don't want to, though. <laughs> you know? It's the scars. It's like anybody else that you see that has strength. Somebody that's stoic has to go through some BS to be at that level. Yeah. And if a woman has to go through that, that's a different level of struggle. Mm-hmm. And I've always noticed that. Like, I peeped that with most women or most people that I've ever seen. It's like, whenever they are strong, it means they've had the most pain. But they also are the most empathetic whenever you actually get to talk to them and get through. That's important. Yeah, empathy is important. How old are you? I'm 25. 25. (laughs) Wow. So you're like a, like you're, you're still in that age. Cause look, I say by 28, 28 is the age where you can't say, I don't do nothing with my life. Cause that's what people ask you. Yeah. You know, around 28, between 28 and like 32, people are going to ask you like, Hey, what do you do? And you can't say, Oh, I'm still at McDonald's. Could be like, why are you still at McDonald's? You're 28. You're the type of thing, right? It's like it's like 28 between 28 and 32 is like that time where you got to start getting things together. So you can really right now you could do whatever you want, make mistakes, and no one hold it against you. I mean, kind of because here's the thing. Remember, African parents they don't play that BS. Yeah, 28, 28. What? Huh? You're yeah. too old right now. You need to be a doctor right now. <laughs> I have friends that are doctors. Yeah, right? and it hurts because like here's the thing. My brother already graduated college, right? So he's getting his uh, master's in engineering. So Here we you, go. So you know. Yeah. He's already in his, I'm, I'm a good African bag. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. My other sister doing her thing. Like, it's it's crazy. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on it, but it, I, I say I sound bitter when I say that. You know, you don't but sound I'm, bitter. I'm, I'm yeah, how you sound bitter? Number one, I'm really proud because mm-hmm. I'm like the older brother that I'm okay being the messed up brother in the family. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but I'm a comedian. That's like, but that's what we do. Like, <laughs> Is it like this? Like they said, oh, you know, Emmanuel, screw up over here. Is that how? It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that. They're just like Emmanuel, lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so they look at you as a lazy guy. Yeah, because they know. They're like, all right, he has, he has the gift of gab, but it's like, come on, you got to do something. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this comedy thing. You what, do they, what do they think about you doing comedy? Um, My mom is like, it's perfect for you. Yeah. Because you have a silver tongue. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect thing for you. My dad is like, my dad now is like, why don't you just pursue acting? <laughs> yeah. So my dad's like, why don't you get into like theater and, and learn how to get into technical the technical side of everything? And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. But uh, I'm a narcissist. I want to be well. I'm not really a narcissist, but I'm a narcissist in my head. Mm-hmm, like, I want to mm-hmm. be the in front of the camera. So you like being in front of the camera, being the center of attention? Yeah, yeah. But you're an introvert. Yeah, but I'm also an introvert. Yeah. How's that work? How does it works? Like I like to be in front of the camera one day out of the week, but the rest of the week you're not gonna catch me. Yeah. Like I'm at the house chilling or I'm doing something by myself at the gym. I don't want nobody around me. Get away from me. Yeah. But that one hour, yeah, it's me. It's all me. Everybody look at me. And then that's it. So your comedy has uh, really grown through this pandemic. Like how does that how did that work for you? Jesus. Um yeah, the the comedy uh I've gotten lucky actually, really. Um, because I found comedy in the pandemic and I got to get connected with people that I wouldn't have gotten connected through without being in there. And uh, one thing I've noticed is like throughout all the pain, I've gotten better from the pain. Like it's always been a thing of like, all right, I feel stressed out. I'm going through this. Let me just write. Let me go through the writing and let me learn something new. Like, and I've learned to write in, in the darkest spots and also the lightest spots. And it's always helped me. What do you mean? Um, for example, like I have that joke about my grandmother mm-hmm. that I always push out. And then at the end of the joke, it relieves it with a little bit less tension. And it's taught me that you can start off with a dark topic and make it better. Yeah. You can release. Like you talk about Patrice releasing tension. Mm-hmm. I had to go through that pain to learn how to release tension. Did I want to? No. You never want to go through that pain. But once you do, 
you learn, all right, I actually do enjoy this. Like, yeah. This is necessary for me. This is necessary for my comedic growth. This is necessary for me to know what I want to become as a comedian. Because I remember I had this conversation with you like the first time. I felt like my comedy didn't feel like it was real enough and it was genuine enough. You know, I was like, I was like, bro, I'm making these jokes, but I feel like I'm making a clown of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you were like, hey, man, it's just going to take time. And you were completely right about it. It did take time. Yeah, it takes time. Everything takes time. It took time and pain. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of time and pain. Yeah. And then once I went through that pain, I was like, all right, I can do this. I can really do this. Man. So within the pandemic, everything shut down, but mm -hmm. pretty much you kept going. Mm -hmm. So wh what was that decision making? Uh, I was like, bro, I'm single. I don't have any family around me. And like the risk of it is like, hey, I'm, I'm a healthy, relatively healthy 20 something year old. I can risk myself being out there without getting anybody else risk. And plus at the time I was okay. So I was doing a job where I was solitary. So there was not, it was not going to affect anybody except for the people who went and watched the shows and the people who were there. So it was kind of that thing of like, all right, let's just do it. But didn't it create a, like an advantage because while everyone was kind of gone, was, those who kept going mm -hmm. pretty much like made deeper relationships with like the owners and deeper relationships with different like um, spots and mics and things like that, right? Is that kind of how it was? Yeah, I mean, not yes and no, because the spots still made you work for it. Like, yeah. just because we think, oh, yeah, it's, it's a pandemic and we need you to work for us doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily just automatically hire you. They have to see you prove and be actually be funny. Yeah, it still got to be funny. Yeah, but luckily for me, I'm still funny. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah, you had to learn. And then I got connections and I got to know people. Like, I see no dope people like George Red Speaks. I got to know uh, people like Zach Sprung. I got to know most of the Vatos Chisosos, all of those brothers. Like, and it was it was fun, and I got to be like my boy Diego. That's my dog right there. Like, he really put me underneath his wing and got me better. Yeah, George got me better. Zach got me better. They're like, hey man, just keep pursuing, keep pushing. Better how? Um, just better business wise. It's the same thing. That's why I go to you because number one, the business is comedy. I remember you were talking to assure uh, you about this. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like the business of comedy is not what I'm good at. I'm good at, you know, writing and being funny. The creative part. Mm -hmm. But the business part, it gets to me. Yeah. So I've learned that my weaknesses, I need to have my team around me. I need to have my people around me and have them deal with it and also teach me. Yeah. So that I can be confident, as confident on stage as I am confident in moving and doing business. Wow, that's really good. That's mature of you to say. Yeah, I'm learning now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so right now that everything's opening back up in Texas, everything's kind of like... Oh, it's it's a gold mine right now. Yeah, I'm yeah. Getting in a rush. Yeah, so do you feel like it's like it's back, or do you feel like it's, it's still time will tell? No, I feel like it's back. Like, honestly, I think it's going to get bigger and bigger throughout the time, because obviously uh, Texas is... Is becoming like the next spot, right? Because you got Joe moving to Austin. You got uh, people like Chappelle being down there. And they're starting to realize that a state that gives you this kind of freedom, especially with comedy, is the best state to be in. And when they're doing that, I'm like, okay, I know it's good. I feel like this might be the Georgia of comedy, like Georgia is to film. Yeah. And if we're able to do that, then I have no problem. People will still be able to make a living just in Texas. Alone. Yeah. But in my head, I'm like, I don't want to be bigger. You think, it's, you think it's going to happen? You think, because I look at that as, I, I already saw it happening. Mm -hmm. um, I saw how, you know, it happened in California, mm -hmm. in L.A. especially. But then you see, like, the Dallas comedy scene, the Austin comedy scene. I'll say Houston somewhat. It's a little bit different. I don't really know anything about San Antonio like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know a little bit of San Antonio. San Antonio usually has a, some of us running off into them, so. 
yeah, it's a pretty decent scene. Yeah, have you made, um, have you went out of state? Uh no, not yet, not, not not even close, brother. I'm still I'm I'm a, I'm a fetus in this. <laughs> yeah, for real, still early in the game. Yeah, I'm still way early in the game. Yeah, and it's funny because you you see people who are ten years in the game and still struggling, you know, but they have certain wins, and it still takes a lot of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you look at people like like uh, Chappelle, you know, who still takes L's, you know. Not as much now as he ever, because everything he says now is pretty much gold. Yeah, right? because I think Chappelle's at the same place. I've always said this. Chappelle's at a point where he's like Carlin. Like, he is a godfather of comedy. Once you become to that level, not a lot of people are going to be able to be like, oh, I need to challenge what you're saying. No, bro. He's done it. He's reached the mountaintop. Now we just need to learn from him and see what he knows and see where he's going with it. And I, uh, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing to say, but I say Chappelle right now, is the theoretical king, right, of comedy. Yeah. Like, he's, he's gotten it. And then it goes to people who are like the business king, which would be Kevin. Mm -hmm. And then there are others who you put underneath as legends. And that's it. Like, the number one spot, I think, is Chappelle right now. But do I think Kevin is almost there? I mean, he could be. Do you think Kevin's a legend? Yeah, definitely. Like, a, a man to be able to do what he did, like, mm -hmm. nah, Kevin, Kevin's a legend. Where, where, did, where did you think Kevin Hart's career start to take off? Um, I, have, I have a theory. Shaq, all-star comedy, Jim. Okay, that's what you feel. Uh, because uh, like, I remember, like I told you, I got, I got to watch that live and see what he did at that moment. And I was like, oh, my God, this dude's different. Like, yeah. That, that skit where he talks about, now you got to suck a titty on the table. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> Shaq, you got a picnic basket on. This is, it was just stuff like that from that whole, like, that whole CD. With, I mean, not CD. Was it a CD? Because it was like no, 2008. Yeah, yeah, it was. So yeah. But that whole CD, you saw Kevin be Kevin. And be the best comedian on that stage that night. And it was crazy because you had Aerie Spears, you had uh, what's called all those other people. You had Cedric the Entertainer, you had all those people on there. And I was like, no, 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 he has something different. He is universal. It's something about him that makes everybody want to watch him and listen to him. Just because when you get that big, obviously your comedy is not going to be as specific anymore. You're going to get too large for your Yeah. Audience. But I think he took what Eddie was supposed to do and he just kept pushing. I thought it was the. Um uh, soul playing, but you remember after soul playing, what happened? What he fell off for a little bit. Yeah, but because I know. But I remember everyone found out about Kevin Hart through the boot <laughs> through the bootlegging mm -hmm. of soul, soul playing because yeah. you know the bootlegging of soul, soul playing came like three months after the movie came out. Yeah. And no, no, it came. It was before. No, no, the bootleg came out three three months before yeah, the movie yeah, came yeah. out. And um, pretty much it bombed in the theater because everyone already saw it. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> mean? And then it helped make. Like everyone was talking about that particular movie, yeah, it was a classic. and Kevin Hart was like the lead actor. Mm -hmm. And then from that moment, I think people started to find out who Kevin is to even get to these different type of comedy because no one knew he did stand up like that. Nope. You know what I mean? And then that's what started to open the door. That's what, what I think may yeah. happen for him. You're right on that, but I remember uh, Kevin talks about this. He was like he thought Soul Plane was going to be his break, but afterwards he he went down again because he wasn't getting booked for anything. He wasn't doing too much. And then he started to grind again because he talked about how uh, he did what Dane Cook did, where he would go to the circuits and he would push and he would like give them his emails and all that stuff to contact him and keep these people on. And he kept pushing on the road and he was getting so big. And that's when Shaq called him. And so I said, like, yeah, you're right. That was when everybody first got introduced to Kevin. But like it didn't blow him up. Yeah. What blew him up afterwards was when he did that. And he did, I think, Little Man or I'm a Grown Little Man or which one was his first one? 
His first uh, like big one where everybody was like, "Oh, this is Kevin Hart." I thought it was not the Laugh of My Pain, not that one. No, Laugh of no, My Pain. I think it was his third one. But yeah, yeah uh, whichever, whichever one that was. But that's when I felt like the first Kevin Net, the first Netflix one. Yeah, the um, I want to actually look at this up. Um, hold on, um, Kevin Hart uh, first stand up, mm. uh, and. Um, but yeah, so what are you telling me about that? Yeah, because we if we if we're saying like Kevin was already on a national level, right? You gotta remember he was on he was with Colin Quinn, Patrice, and all them in uh, not the Man Show, but there was a show before that. It was like a verse. Yeah, show. I'm a grown little man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grown little man was when I was like, oh, this. Yeah, he got it. Yeah, he got it. He, he had it. It was point. different for you. It was different. Yeah, because then he started getting into movies, and once you get into movies, I don't think you have enough time to spend and uh, meticulously create like uh, a special. You can't. You, you you have you don't have enough time on your hands. Yeah, comedy requires you to physically be there with her. Like yeah. I, I feel like she's a female. You got to be able to take care of comedy, and comedy will take care of you. Yeah, it's a relationship. Yeah, that sucks, but <laughs> it's a relationship. Yeah, sometimes abusive, but yeah, yeah, yeah. very abusive. <laughs> yeah. So so basically, like, did you feel that Kevin Hart because you know like he was almost un. Like no one competed with him at that time because Dave Chappelle was gone, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Cat was going through what he was going. Yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much, he was literally the only black comedian that was at that level, you know, yeah, like at that level. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, but all the other ones were just already too gone. Like I think Bernie was gone at that time. Yeah. Uh, what's his name was wasn't doing comedy anymore. Any of the kings of comedy, and uh, yeah. What's bald dude's name? Uh, Thomas Seth the Entertainer. Steve. Oh, Steve. Steve, Steve Harvey. Steve. Yeah. Steve was no longer doing his thing. Cedric was Cedric, but it wasn't like they weren't pursuing things like they were. They were just like, I'm cool. Okay, I'm I'm chilling. I'm doing comedy. Yeah. And that's it. Like, yeah. I'm not pursuing to the level that Kevin's because Kevin's work ethic. I. It's like yours. Mm. I'm like I look at y'all and I'm just like, nah. Y'all are the who? Like like. There's just a certain innate like work ethic for mm-hmm. certain people. Like for me, I love this comedy thing, right? Mm-hmm. But. For me, even with like trying to write a script, it takes time. I, I'm, I relax on it. I'm not just gonna furiously just get into it and just just pursue that and be one track minded and just go ham. For me, I gotta experience life for my comedy. Comedy comes from what I do. Yeah. But for y'all, it's just a certain work ethic where like I'm gonna get these things done and I'm gonna get them done no matter what. Yeah, it's I respect true. that. Yeah. Because it's it's a different type of level because the same level headed thing that I see in like my brother, where he when he played ball, he said I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it. And that was it. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. For me, it's like, I'm going to do it, but I got to find the way that makes the most sense for me. Does that and slow you down? Makes me, yeah, hell yeah. So because you're overthinking in a way? Yep. Mm. All, all automatically. Because it's the uh, imposter syndrome. That I yeah. Because I don't feel like I deserve to even be anywhere near where I'm at. And I'm nowhere. <laughs> but you know what's crazy? You'll have imposter syndrome to the end. Yeah. You know, like no matter how great you are, because think about it, even wherever you're at, you're still above where you were before. And even others who were starting in the places that like some people have no idea. Mm-hmm. And yet you've been doing this for X amount of time. And then you still feel like ah, I'm not there yet. And then you could look, you could sell out Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. and you could still feel like, man, I'm, ah, maybe I'm falling off. You know, like there's this executive who, you know, get paid 30 million dollars a year. High earner. He's like, you know. 40-something or 50-something, top of his game, always been the aggressive earner or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he still feels like he could lose everything overnight. 
Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't feel comfortable yet because he's like, maybe they'll find out that I'm not as good as what they think I am. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's true because there are just times where, like, you're just not there creatively. You're, like, just not there. But then there are times where it's it's like, it's like a bipolar creativeness that you have to go through because there are times where you're just on your P's and Q's and you're in your bag and people are like, man, this is the best thing I've ever seen you do. And you're like, yeah, but can I do it again? Yeah. And then you do it again, but can I do it again? It's, yeah. that, it's that kind of fear of like, when is it just going to stop? Yeah, like when is it going to, when am I going to lose all my steam mm -hmm. and I start going all the way down? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. like a real fear, mm -hmm. but it's it's uh, somewhat irrational. You know what I mean? It is, but it isn't because we've seen people who leave and come back and think that they could just get back on that same boat and it's never the same. Yeah. That's where I think comedy is a thing of like, you got to keep going. Always. You can't stop. Like, uh, R.P. to grandpa, but uh, Boondock's grandfather, uh, John Witherspoon, yeah. was a prime example of a brother who knew what he had and what he needed to do and kept doing it to the end. That's why I respected him so much because he said, I'm a comedian and I have to keep working because at the end of the day, I got to get to the paper. Yeah. And I respected that because he had a goal, he had the thing in mind, and he kept doing it until the day that he passed because I will always do comedy forever. Like, if I never go anywhere further than what I've gotten right now, I don't give a damn. I'm still going to be doing comedy forever. Actually, I, I respect that attitude because you shouldn't have any ex expectations. You should just do it and just keep going. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people get in their own heads. And, you know, like, I met a guy who said, yeah, I left and I came back and I left and I came back. Or another person who said, I never did this. I knew this. I know I could kill it. He actually went up, killed it, and then never came back again. See, that's like... Those dudes that think, oh, I can just walk on and walk off. And yeah. Thing, I'll never do it again. I, I, I could have been a great comedian. No, you yeah. couldn't have. That. <laughs> yeah. It's like you doing one play, getting a touchdown in Pee Wee and be like, yeah, I could have went to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You see all this type of stuff. And he's like, that's why you have to come into it humble mm -hmm. because it is something that you got to keep doing because it's about like getting those hours in. Mm -hmm. You're, are you familiar with the whole 10,000 hours? Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you need them. You, you, you feel that you like you feel like you're working towards that. Yeah, I'm working towards it because a year ago, me versus me right now. Oh yeah, that boy getting smoked. <laughs> but I like that because yeah. I, I want to work to where a year from now, I look back at myself on this on this podcast. I'm like, I would have killed that dude. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I want to challenge myself because that I'm like I remember uh, somebody said the only rivalry you have is with yourself, right? Yeah, and that's how it's supposed to be. You're your only competition. Yeah, yeah. comedy. I feel that because I, I'm like, yeah. I don't care about anybody else. I'm going against me, and I'm gonna beat me. Yeah. Pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a, you know, I'm gonna be better than myself before. But you know, a lot of people, you know, they look. It's hard. This is this is one of my personal struggles when it comes to starting anything new. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? When you're new to it, people think that you should be as good as who their favorite is in it. In order to like see if like to even judge where you're at. So right. So like if you do, let's say you just got into stand up or let's say you just got into podcasting, they're going to compare it to what their favorite is, you know, and it's like it makes you, no sense. you have to understand when you're new to something, you're, you're not going to be great. That's why I always talk about like support is different when someone comes out with like a like who's, who's pursuing music. And next, thing you know, like they're passing out their CD and that someone's like, should I tell my friend that he sucks? It's like, no, you know, what I mean, like just say, hey, just keep going. That's all you really need to say. Just because at the end of the day, you're going to have to get your time in mm -hmm. in order to even be decent to above decent. You know what I mean? But where you, you 
give I, push push back on that. I, I think I think because you know the way that I grew up is like people gonna tell you you suck, mm-hmm. and you got to get that thick skin, man. Yeah, like, if you're pursuing anything, you got to know that people are gonna tell you. My parents and my people around me like were like, bro, you ain't gonna do no damn comedy. Yeah, you suck. Yeah, you ain't gonna make nobody laugh. And then I'm like, I right, bet I'm gonna prove y'all wrong because mm-hmm. I here's the thing: when I prove my people wrong and they finally flip over and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go watch you again. You were good. You were surprisingly good. You were great. I love that because that number one that puts tougher skin on you that your biggest critics are your family members. So you, there's nothing that anybody else can say that's gonna hurt me. Yeah. So if you can't take that, that's on you, man. Like mm-hmm. if somebody is pursuing something hard enough, you just telling them, "Hey, bro, this is not good, but you can improve on this and you can do better on this." That shouldn't hurt nobody. Yeah. If it hurts you, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> but, I, but I know I always look at it like not that if it hurts you or not. I'm looking at it that you know when. Okay, when, when anyone around me starts something new, mm-hmm. I am usually very careful or, or sensitive to that, the fact that they're brand new into something. So I'm always saying certain things that would either uh, encourage them mm-hmm. or just let them t- know to keep going. And they're like, oh, I never really hear that, right? Because mm-hmm. usually people are like, all right, you just started, but it's not great. And yeah. they're like, you shouldn't be doing it because it's not great. But it's like, it takes time to be great. If that's something you want to do, like, and once people understand that, like, it does take time to be great, that like, you're just not going to come into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hitting home runs. That's really what you, like, you, you had the insecurity, like, I got to hit home runs. So my mm-hmm. people or my, anybody around me doesn't say I suck at this. Mm-hmm. So you almost, in essence, do whatever, become desperate just to show that you're yeah. good at it. And then, you know, kind of takes you off your path. You know what I mean? But, yeah. you know, it depends on how you handle you know, uh, feedback because some people either can or can't, you know? Yeah, and I respect that. For people that can't, I always look at it like this, man. If you can't handle feedback, what's going to happen if you do get big enough and then one day you do a bad album or something or you do a bad uh, special? Is that going to break you? Like, if it breaks you, then that's a problem right there. You were never made for this in the first place. Like, something shouldn't break you just because everybody has a wrong opinion on it. Yeah. It takes time. Like, but you like, see that, though. That's what... Okay, you know Lloyd Banks? Mm-hmm. The rapper, right? Yeah. He actually hasn't returned to rap because he feels that no one's checking for him. And people, when they say, hey, man, you need to come out. You need to do this. He's like, ain't nobody checking for me, man. Ain't nobody showing me no love right now out here. And he stopped rapping because of... Like, he just feels like he don't matter anymore. And, you know, I know this is going to sound messed up, but... I understand where where he's coming from because at a certain age, like rappers don't <laughs> don't feel the same anymore. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, but I will say this: I am checking for that uh, uh, West Coast album that's going to happen. What's, yeah. the, what's the the Mount West Coast with uh, Snoop, E Forty, Too Short, and uh, what's my name? Ice Cube. Oh, I didn't know. And I listened to that thing. I listened to the first song on it, and I was like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I want to listen to that. Yeah, but that's because it's a combination of all of them. Am I checking for them by themselves? I'm gonna keep that to myself. I ain't trying to have no beef. No, but no, but my bigger point is that, like, he quit Uh because he stopped believing in himself. And that's when you should quit. That's when you you should quit. Yeah, because if you you don't have any more faith in yourself, then pursue something else. Like, there's a time when, like, for example, I remember watching, like, for example, Joe Button, right? When he he left music, like, he knew it was time for him to leave. Yeah. And he pursued something else and he became successful in it. I respect somebody that does that because there are certain times you got to realize, oh, my cachet in this specific thing isn't the same anymore. I still can make music, right? But it's not going to work out anymore. You have to be a realist to yourself and then you got to transfer into something new because you can use whatever abilities that you did gain from that or whatever fame or whatever, uh, what's called, 
status that you got and transfer it into something else because you can always be able to do something. It's like a, a Master P with basketball to music to being a businessman to making ramen noodles. Man, yeah, ramen yeah. noodles smack though. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's what I'm saying. Just use your cash aid to advance yourself and just, just switch over. Well, what kind of self-awareness does that require though? You know what I mean? Because think about it. You could be stubbornly stuck into your, you know, I guess... Um, I wouldn't know what to call it, but if you're somewhere where you don't feel like progress is happening, mm -hmm. but yet you keep going, you know, like you say, like if you're, you know, if I start rapping at 30 mm -hmm. and I'm now 65, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. At what moment should, should I say, you know what? Cause you know, it could be right before you quit that a little bit after that, that you could have made it right. Like you could, sometimes you might quit too early. So how do you yeah. know that there's a thing that like when you say like, Move on to something else. How does someone know to move on to something else? Here's the thing. Um, just because you moved on to something else doesn't mean you quit doing what you love. Like, it doesn't mean that you quit making music. Like, you can still make music, but you have other ventures that are your main priority now. Like, I could still be making music and still be doing comedy. That's my main thing. I might make one track a week or one track a month or something. But I'm still doing what I used to love, and I'm still doing it. Because you never know when that might hit all of a sudden, and now you're back to doing what you're doing. You never give up on something that used to be a passion of yours. Mm -hmm. Make it your hobby while you're doing whatever is making you money at the time. I see. I see. So it's almost like if it wasn't a passion for you or if it wasn't anything that you loved like that, then you shouldn't be doing it anyways. But if it is and you're not that great at it, you can still continue doing it, but it doesn't have to be priority number one because you have to take care of yourself. Exactly. However, however that, that works for you, right? Exactly. That's interesting. That's a nice little take, bro. I, yeah, man. I don't personally <laughs> believe it because, like, at the end of the day, like, everybody has a dream, but not everybody's dream is meant to be fulfilled. Your dream might be just there to prevent you from going insane. It might be there just to help you as a human being. That's it. To help you go, to help, help you go through something like a testimony? Right. Like, you're... That type of thing? Yeah. It, it helps you go through trials because it's art. That's what art is. Art is an expression of like yourself. And a lot of artists, what do they do? They go through their art and that's how they get through it. And I respect that. Like if that's the way that you get through things, keep writing, keep doing your poetry, keep doing your thing, man. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? If you release an album and nobody will listen to it, screw it. Yeah. Like at least you've got a body of work out there. Yeah. Like at least you got something that you put your heart into. And somebody might find it and somebody will relate to it and be like, this is great. I don't know why other people don't rock with it. It's what hipsters are here for. Yeah, but isn't that how you get a cult following though? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you keep going regardless and you're mm -hmm. the people who like support you for real, like the super fans are the ones who stay with you and you kind of build that over time. But yeah. I guess it is depending on how, what your goals are, right? Yep. So what are your goals? Like what are your goals in, in life and in comedy? My goals in life and in comedy, man, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I want to pursue what I wanted to pursue when I was younger, where, like, uh, I want to be able to make my own special and also make my own 10-episode series. And that is my goal. Once I'm able to do that, then we can see where, wherever it goes. But that's my main thing. Is I want to be able to write an anthology series that is based off of what I've experienced and what has happened around me. Because there's a lot of, like iffy different things and it's like such a great story that i think personally i need to put it on paper and push it your story mm. oh you want so you want to create like a have you written it or is it you haven't imagined as far as like your your series that you want to come out oh, with yeah. I, I got, I, i'm writing it right now oh that's great yeah so that's that's the focus right now so. okay and then you said also you want to do your own stand-up special yeah okay like a netflix thing or like hbo type I thing don't give a damn who or what sees it I'm doing my own special no matter what. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, like, 
I don't care for like the views or anything else. I just want to be able to have my own body work that I'm like, this is funny, and I know it's funny. Screw everybody else. That's how it should be. Yeah, you do it. So you're doing this for yourself, not yes. really for anybody else. It's, it's never for anybody else. But I do enjoy when people are like, "Man, that was funny. I enjoyed it. Thank you for helping me." I'm like, "Yeah." But it was for me. Yeah. <laughs> Has there ever been something that just caught you off guard that you didn't think was going to be funny or didn't think that was going to be good? And then next you know, everyone's like, I love that. Yeah. And it's a pretty iffy bit. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's one of my more terrifying bits. It's the, uh, the delectable Negro bit that I do. <laughs> delectable Negro bit. Yeah, it's yeah. not as funny as you think it yeah. is. <laughs> I like, people know the book, Delectable Negro. It is a horrible book. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, it's basically uh, yeah okay no no I can't I can't explain the book now <laughs> now the pressure is on me I'm like yeah. I can't explain the book but basically the joke is about cannibalism mm -hmm. from uh, white slave masters to their slaves and then there's a little introduction that I do about certain things about savagery don't worry yeah you can't explain the bit of but, it, but tell me I know but tell me is it something that you did that you were you got unexpected results. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was one of those things where I was making it and I was like, man, this would be kind of funny, but I also wanted to educate the crowd. I'd be like, hey man, maybe you should read this book and see what the brutality was really like. Yeah, get something, inform yourself a little bit. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh man, I'm starting to write from my own experiences of like reading things and being like, oh my god, this is wow. Yeah, but it's also gotten me better from it. So like, I have a genocide joke. And I have, uh, yeah, this is getting bad, but I have jokes about, yeah, going back home. I have jokes about an iPhone and like how this is, you know, this is an amazing product made by little children mining shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty messed up, but it's like, yeah, you know, you got to be appreciative of what it is, but you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Like we are, like when people talk about like, you know, Star Wars and all that shit, we're the evil empire, man. <laughs> do, you, do you, like who we, what do you mean we are the evil empire? Oh, the Western world. Oh, like, the Western world. You yeah, feel that? Yeah. It, you feel all, that? It all, is? All, all that. All, all that. Come on. I, th I feel so too, though. Like France, the United States, England. Like, come on. Yeah, but, but you know, what do you think? Do we do we move on from history, or do we just, or do we try to correct what has been done in the past? Here's the problem. How are you going to correct a machine that's already going this fast, one direction? Like it's it's already moving. The train is is going one way, right? There are people that are trying to, right? And we hope that we can be able to make sure that, like, Africa and uh, South America are able to regain their own autonomy. But are they going to let that happen? <laughs> Do you, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, it's it's really interesting because, you know, um, if you talk about uh, the transatlantic slavery, sub-Saharan slavery, all the different type of colonialism, mm -hmm. you know, uh, slaves, you know, chattel slavery. I mean, there's so many levels of, like, you know, attempted world domination. Yep. And you always wonder, like, how do you undo all this? You know? I mean, here's the thing. Like, if we're going to get into, like, a political conversation about, like, is it capitalism that's causing all this stuff? Mm -hmm. Is it just trying to push the machine of making more profit and not looking for advancing humanity? That might be the thing. You know? Is, but, that, is that what you think that is? That when people talk about capitalism, like, the only way for you to be successful is at, at the expense of others? I think it's human greed. Yeah. I think personally, yeah. Like, uh, for me to sit here and act like I'm not a part of it, that would be BS of me. Because yeah. I, I never pretend like my hands are not bloodied. Even though I did come here from a country. I got lucky, man. Yeah. I'm part of the 1%, man. Yeah. I got here, man. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. I'm, here. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, fam. Yeah. But I'm here now. Yeah. So um, you can call me one of them. Do people got problems with you? Like, Do you feel like people got problems with you being here? Uh, in America? Yeah. Nah, I'm too charming. 
Oh, that's great. You know, you know, because you know, if um, if you ever go on like uh, Clubhouse or mm-hmm. certain certain rooms, they talk about like, you know, I feel like you know, Africans come to America and steal jobs mm-hmm. from uh, black people. What do you say to that? Um, it's jobs that a lot of people don't want. Yeah, like let's be honest with ourselves. A lot of the jobs that people specifically speak on are like factory jobs, and a lot of jobs that people could still go to this day. Like Texas is so plentiful. I could just go to a job right now. I could quit my job today and have a job tomorrow. Yeah. Like, honestly. Yeah. If you really are saying that they took your job specifically that you were talking about, <laughs> shut up. You, you, you can go do that job right now. Yeah. Or even let's talk about the jobs that are being created. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you talk about that, too. You know? So, there's all different type of levels to it. But, you know, um, so, as far as what your focus is, is strictly in comedy, mm-hmm. trying to get into acting. Mm-hmm. You you plan on staying in Texas? Or you plan on moving to L.A.? Or you, you um, plan on trying to... I'm planning on staying in Texas. I'm, I'm going to be in Dallas probably for another year and then go down to Austin and then see what Austin is like for a year. And then if I have to move to... You going to move to Austin for a little bit? Yeah, probably move in there for like a, a year or so. Come back to Dallas every weekend or so. And just make sure that I'm still in both areas and be able to... Uh, help me understand this, this move. So you want to kind of like... Um, Create some type of uh, platform in Austin while it's like bubbling right now. Yeah, and I'll be able to make just connect genuine connections because from like every like for example our connection right we would never have had the connection if we never had a conversation. Yeah, and I think that's really where I'm best at is human connection and genuine conversation. That's where I, I succeed at. Yeah, that's it. Like yeah. internet wise, okay, you might be okay at some of the things, and I love the internet for what it is because I think it's such a beautiful bubble that's going yeah. on right now. Same thing with the internet. I think the internet has caused all this like moving and stuff to be obsolete kind of. Yeah. But knowing that physically I could be on stage and somebody that I see at a different level to me can come talk to me and be like, oh, you did great. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, cool. I There's a sense of validation there that I'm like, okay, I achieved that. Now let me move on and do what I need to do. Yeah, what do you think about the investment though on um, uh, doing comedy online versus in person? You know, like, is it something that you think that online could replace in person or you think it's there's a whole, two different places? I think you need both. I think you definitely need both. And also, I think online helps you prevent prevent you from getting stuff stolen from you. And that's what I've seen from that's a negative of being just live all the time is somebody might be able to be like, oh, yeah, that joke was great. <laughs> yeah. Time for me to take a little bit of this, you know, break it off <laughs> yeah. because this is my joke. Now. Yeah. 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 And you're just like, oh, my God, I made that joke. But for me, it's also the same thing. If somebody steals my joke, I'm like, I got like 15 of them. Yeah. Like, I don't give yeah. Back. You've heard someone take take yours. Uh, I've heard certain people getting their stuff taken. I'm not going to say myself specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't like to be like, oh, yeah, this person stole my joke. But yeah. people do do that, and it's always like, "Damn, wow!" Yeah, they really did that. <laughs> that's crazy. That's you, you. Do you consider that theft, or you think that's some not that not that big of a deal? For me, it's not that big of a deal because I know I'm, I'm talented. Yeah, I can, I do this. Like this is what I like. This is gonna make me sound really cocky, but I know I'm a good comedian. So for me, I'll make another one of those. Will you make one? <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> wow, that's the right energy. Yeah, that's how I look at it, man. Because, like, bro, keep playing me. I'm, I promise you, when I'm above you and I look back and I'm like, remember when you uh, did this, dog? Well, I'm going to hire you on this show. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make sure you understand how much better I am than you are. That's hard. That's it. That's, that's dead serious. I'm yeah. Dead serious. It's, not a play. it's not a game for me, but it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's that. So what do you got up co- coming up next? Um, I do have a uh, show coming up. It should be in mid. Uh, what, what, what day is it today? Today's April? It's April? 
Yeah, April. Well, it should be March 15th to 14th, you know. Uh, should be doing hyenas, but... uh say March. It's April 18th. Okay, so next month is March, right? No. May. May 15th. Yeah, yeah. May 15th to 14th uh, should be at... Uh, We'll edit that out. I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, these months is going by like this pandemic, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been working hard. <laughs> working real hard. <laughs> yeah, so um, you say you got a show coming in April? Yeah, 15th. So 15th and 14th. Uh, I'll get the exact dates and, you know, it'd be what it was, you know. Anything that you're struggling with that you need help with? Currently, um, mainly I've just been struggling with, uh, you know, Keeping myself centered, you know, I think uh, I've had this conversation with my dad the other day and he was talking about when I'm going back to Africa and stuff like that. It's like kind of understanding where I'm at and why I do what I do, because when I was younger, I used to have a, a crazy fire like what you had. Yeah. And it's trying to get myself to that point is making the habits and learning the habits that are necessary for me, you know, and getting better, breaking the bad ones bringing in the good ones and just doing that because at a certain point I have to be at that level just because I'm talented at doing comedy, which I'm not blowing my own horn or do anything like that, but it's like, I got to get better. Yeah. And that little bit of energy and that little bit of pushing and pursuing that I need that. Yeah. I got to get that. So you're trying to create that habit that keeps you going because is it that you don't feel motivated sometimes? Yeah, man. Look, mental health is a weird fucking thing. I mean, yeah. weird thing. No, <laughs> mental health is, is, is a struggle, man. Yeah. But when I'm in that bag, like, it's like good. And it's really just really about my health. You know, yeah. obviously I almost died last week. So it's one of those things. How? Yeah, it was, uh, I was, I was laying in bed, right? And I'm just chilling. And all of a sudden, like, I felt like my heart palpitating. I was like, oh my God, am I dying? Yeah. And I was like, and I went to, I went to the kitchen and then my dad was like, are you good? He was like, are you all right? And I sit down and my dad looks at me and he's like, do you need me to call a doctor? And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And I'm like, my five minutes later, call the doctor. Oh, man. <laughs> so the ambulance comes in, right? And then they, they check my blood pressure, and they're like, uh, you good. It's just you have, like, uh, something of elevated uh, high blood pressure. He was like, Did you, were you moving? What were you doing? And I was like, yeah, man, I was drinking for a couple of days. You know, I was doing all these different things. I was partying, and I had just come back from a comedy show. And they were like, yeah. You gotta lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta lose some weight. That's it. Yeah. Basically, it was like, you're just fat. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it hit me. And I was like, oh, God. Okay. You're right. Okay. I need to lose some weight. Man, I, I gained like um, 10 pounds from uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And man, it's, it's such a pain to try to like get up and get back active and stay active. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been a runner? Like you wake up in the morning and say, "Man, I just I want to go. I want to go take a run for about a month, <laughs> and then what? It faded away. Never again. Never again. Yeah. Because so yeah. here's the thing: being a big dude, I was always I was always playing football in the morning. So like for me, it was like that. But I was active, and I would do like at least a mile a day, and that was about it, you know. But nah, nah, I can't do that, especially at this weight. Yeah. Like I got to get down to like when I was like two twenty. Right now I'm at three fifteen. Right now. You, know? you trying to get back down to two twenty? Yeah, I got to get back down. Wow, that quarantine really hit. <laughs> <laughs> the Twinkies, yeah, man. Yeah, for real. Look, man, look. When you Netflix and just enjoying yourself, and look, man, it happens. That's why I can't life be like that, where you just, like, do whatever you want to do, right? Like, it has to be where you have to have, like, I always say things like freedom with limits, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can do whatever you want, but you have to have limits, because if you don't put limits on it, that's when all the badness, you know, comes out. And I feel like, man, if I could just 
lay down and stay the same or stay lazy and or and, and still get the same production out of it. But oh, you got to wake up every morning and was it working out? get at it, you yeah. know? It was it was one of those things because it, I felt like, oh, finally, I don't have to deal with people. And so I started being reclusive and didn't go to the gym like I needed to because I started to realize, oh, damn, me at 250, I felt way healthier than I am at 300. And then me at 225, I felt like a different human being. Like literally another human being is on top of me right now. Oh, you feel like that? Like, oh, it is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. But don't, okay, when, when someone, but see, it look, look like it kind of fits you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you were like five, seven uh-huh. and 300, then it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't work. You know, it'd be everywhere. You could see it everywhere. Yeah, but when you're anywhere, hey, when you're above six, six foot, it kind of spreads. You know what I mean? It Pause. spreads, but unluckily for me, it goes to the ass. Like, <laughs> Like, when you a man with ass, it don't work out like that. A man with hips, like, yeah, man. So you gotta you gotta buy like you gotta buy Fashion Nova jeans. Oh no no no, it's it's it's, it's stretchy. <laughs> it's stretchy because the hips is tight. But like, yeah yeah yeah. It, so you gotta find different type of jeans that fit you right because your body type is so off. athletic fit. Athletic fit. Athletic fit because they have a little bit of stretch to it. <laughs> you got it down to a science. Yeah, it's a science, man. Because like when you're a big dude your whole life, you got to know what jeans that you need to wear. Yeah. What jeans are good on you. People are like, oh my God, you look so good. No, this was work. <laughs> this, was this was work. This is work. Yeah. This is not, it just doesn't come together. So you have like fitness goals that you're trying to. Oh, meet. hell yeah. I'm, I'm, look, I'm back on my, my old grind. Like, Luckily for me, I got a voice like my brother Juju and I got a voice like my boy Chris. Uh, they get on my ass. Yeah. And they're like, hey, bro, I can see your double chin. Come on. Let's get, let's get this. So they really trying to keep you oh, accountable. No, they keep me accountable because luckily for me, it's like I have athletes all around me, so I can't play games. Like when my little sister beat me over this pandemic, it was nah. My spirit got crushed. Mm. I learned a lesson at that point because I was like, man, she's she might be five eleven, but like, come on, she's a junior in high school. You can't, yeah. you can't be losing to a junior in high school. Yeah, basketball thing. Come on, you 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 play varsity ball. Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like yo. It's like a past health is just shaking his head like, God damn, what happened to you, man? <laughs> Jesus. You look yourself in the mirror. You know that one where you look yourself in the mirror like, mm, get back to it. I'm just looking at myself. I'm like, yeah, it was you and me, man. Come on. Yeah. Like, come on, we got this. And then I'll be out there working out. And I'm just like, I can't do it like I used to. Mm-hmm. Like you try to go in and try to lift like you used to and go in and try to run like you used to. No, no. you're trying. That's how you break things. Yep. You know, people say, oh, I remember, like, they'll, they'll hit the weights in a certain way, mm-hmm. or they'll start running. Like, you know, someone will say, hey, let's race. Thinking that there's used to be as fast as it used to be, break the ankle, tumble over. You're tearing an ACL. <laughs> I, tried, yeah. I tried to uh, race my sister, right? I heard that tweak. I said, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, this, this heard that pop. No, no, this is all good, man. Look, yeah. I, I still want my knee intact. I, I've seen a PCL, MCL. In and the hospital's expensive, bro. Look. Especially now. You're telling me, man. I know. I'm, I'm not messing with them hospital bills. That's a different thing. Again, another another point, like, where we're just talking about politics. Come on. The people need health care, man. Yeah, yeah, they do. Man. Anything last you want to share to the people, man? Um, no, I mean, outside of that, I mean, we had a great one. Um, appreciate this. Thank you for being here. And uh, it was enjoyable, brother. Hey, this is fun, bro. Very fun. Hey, look. Can't wait for the part two. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now that people get to know you a little bit. You know what I mean? But uh, thanks for coming through. Appreciate that, man. And um, we'll see y'all later. And uh, peace out. Assalamu alaikum, brothers. <laughs> alaikum salam. <laughs>
remember to get off the couch and go do something. Peace.